0: Chapter 16 of Mr. Wicker's Window by Carly Dawson. This is a LibriVox recording. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Arthur Piantadossi. Come along, Amos. We must get a closer look at that ship. Chris cried, putting his glass away. Scrambling down, the two boys ran along the stream until it was shallow enough to cross. The water was icy, telling, as well as the turning leaves and cooler air, that fall had come and winter was on the way. Hurrying forward, Chris and Amos reached the mouth of a stream where it joined the river. There, on the left bank of Rock Creek, high rushes grew in rank profusion on the mushishy land. They rose higher than the heads of the two boys and were too closely packed to allow for easy passage. We'll have to skirt the very edge, Chris said, glancing about. Barefoot would be best. This soft ground would be go over our shoes and maybe suck them down. Keep light against the rushes, Chris warned Amos. And if a boat show up coming from the wharves, we can't take any chances. We'll have to dive into the rushes and hide, just in case it's clagged shoe. That's right. Uh, it's uh, it's nodded his head, Chris I don't want to eat him again if you do less than me, he chuckled. <laughs> The two went on, making slow progress, for the river was deep at that point, with a little foothold between the edge of the jungle of reeds and deep water. Keep an eye out, Amos, Quintus called back over his shoulder as he went ahead. It was no time before Amos's voice came huskily up to his friend. Chris! Chris, hold on! There's a boat with four men in it just left the last wharf, and they're heading this way! Get in those rushes quick! My clothes will be mighty bright! Bushing and panning, they shoved their way into the dusty rushes, scooping back until they could barely see the river through the stalks. And it was just in time, for barely were they hidden when they heard carried over the up, up, up water, the dip and splash of two pairs of oars and the creak of oarlocks. Then, in another moment, came the high-pitched voice of Osterbridge Halsey. This gave a shiver as it reached him. Claggett. In the voice of the fop who was with Claggett's shoe, who was slitting in the bottom of the boat. Claggett, I find myself quite, quite fatigued. A little wine, I fancy, must revive me when we reach the ship. Eat it, I think, and spice the world of the night chill. And Claggett! went on, the voice, almost upon them, now it was so clear. What do you think of this muslin for my new shirts? Is it not delicate? Irish! C'est l'avant, ça as the dear French say. I feel sure it will be satisfactory. From Flaggot Shoe, the two boys heard not a word, and clearing out, they saw the boat shoot by. Osterbridge Hawsey, wrapped in a great cloak, was admiring a bolt of muslin that he held, but Claggot Shoe, his face shadowed by a hat, was holding his whip upon his knees and glowering at the water. The boat passed, and some time after, the two boys heard from across the water the echo of wood against wood as the dinghy reached the Venture's hull. After a while, as the boys were about to move along, a heavy drooping uh, sound and the shuddering of the marshy ground made the two in hiding look at one another in concern. What in the world? <laughs> Miss murmured. The sound, accompanied by steps, dam, and An arithmetic drop and shudder continued far along the shore. Stealthily trying not to shake the rushes and so show what they might be, Chris and Amos pushed through the marsh. The sun was setting as they came near the steps and voices, pushing through the weeds towards the river. Chris found they were near the opposite where the venture floated, below Mr. Mason's Island and at a desolate part of the river. Chris gestured Amos forward, and they went on step by step, until, in a pause of the thundering, drop sound, they knew themselves to be near its origin, and parted the reeds enough to see. There, within a few yards of them, and at the edge of a hard-beaten track from the main shore, lay a mass of cannonballs and shot for guns of various sizes, such as are used on men-of-war. The crew, with of the venture... Able to carry but one at a time, kept a line going from shore to pile, and this, as they dropped the cannonballs from their shoulders, was the sound of them shaking in the ground the boys had heard and felt. Seeing the red caps and kerchief tads of men above the rushes, the boys let the reeds fall back. "I'm going to have a look at the ship through the glass," Chris whispered, and moved forward closer to the shore. Parting the stalks, he trained the glass at Inclagashu's like ship. It was a fine, rich vessel, that was evident, and swarming with activity. At this hour of dusk, other boats along the river had stopped their commerce for the day, and there were none to observe what Claggett's shoe might be about. Chris and Amos were the only watchers. The cannonballs and ammunition were taken out in boats and hoisted up in nets. Chris observed everything closely and saw still other crewmen disappearing with their burdens down the hold. Then something caught his eye, and he examined the name along the side through the spyglass. Curious, thought Chris, that all the letters of the na- of name seemed exact except the second and the third. Among the other letters of carved and gilded wood, the E and N were not quite as straight as all the line as the rest. Oh, well, Chris thought, it's at least the custom of a time, for all I know. Putting the glass in his pocket, he rejoined Amos, but as he did so, the last two sailors put down their cannonballs and wiped the sweat off their foreheads with their arms. In the ensuing silence, a rustle of the rushes, as Chris and Amos moved away, were plainly really to be heard. "'What's that?' One man cried out. "'It's spy there! Here, take this club and beat him out! We'll catch him!' The two men crouched into the brush so fast that Chris barely had time to whisper to Amos, "'Hurry, Amos! Run!' "'It'll all be all right!' I'll draw them off. I'll meet you where we ford the stream. Amos safely out of sight, the men came only on a small, a dog, spurging for rats, wagging its tail and handing out a yip rape or two as it followed Santa around. You, round. Give <coughs> <coughs> it a kick <coughs> there. It's only a stray dog, one said. <coughs> Devil take it. What do I care? answered the other, turning back. The dog lay panting at the rigger's edge. <sighs> Looking past the ship as it rested, it saw what it thought was snow upon the water and banks. But it was just thousands of ducks migrating south, and when they rose to move farther away, the sky was overcast and thunderous with their wings. <sighs> Long after, dark, cold, dirty, and quite wet, the two boys reached the house on Water Street. "'Where did you go?' And Becky inquired, frowning with solicitude at the bedraggled pair. "'Oh, no place much.' Answered yawning. Ugh. Mr. Wicker's Window, Chapter Sixteen by Carly Dawson and